Invite the presence of the Lord in this place. Oh, as the Spirit was moving over the water, Spirit, come move over us. Come rest on us. Come rest on us. As the Spirit was moving over the water, Spirit, come move.
this race till my final step. Gonna sing this song till my final breath. Let the way of this world go. Gonna be no tears, gonna be no pain. When I see that smile on my Savior's face, I won't be walking, I'll be running home. Here's what you need to know without a shadow of a doubt. Every one of those people that walked across the stage had to surrender something. They had to surrender something in their life, in their past. If nothing else, they had to surrender their pride today to walk across the stage. So we celebrate that because surrender is really what it's all about. See, we get to these points. We get to these points in life where we've got to make a choice. Do we keep on fighting or do we surrender? Do we keep on pushing ahead? And sometimes we need to, okay? Sometimes we need to push through things as long as we've surrendered those things to our Heavenly Father. In the world that we're talking about here in this road to recovery, in the NA and AA world where they use all 12 of the steps, uh, the third step, which we're on today, says this. We made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God. That will thing is so hard. <laughs> that will thing is so hard because we want what we want. We tend to want what we want. You know, one of the most amazing moments that we have recorded in Scripture is the night before Jesus was going to die, and he's in the garden praying to his father, and he says, Dad, if there's any other way, any other way, let's go with it. And then he says this, not my will. Not my will, but yours be done. Because there's a lot of things in life that we want, and then on the surface may seem like that's not a bad thing. Jesus wanting another way to save the world, he was going to die. He was going to die a human death. Forget the deity part. It was awful what he was about to go through. So to say, yeah, any other way makes perfect sense. But then to surrender and say, not my will, your will be done. And so that's what we need to do. And, and the corresponding verse that goes with that is this verse of scripture right here. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, what that means is because of everything that God has done for you, because of all those things, in view of that, then offer your bodies as living sacrifices. That's holy and pleasing to God. It's your spiritual act of worship. It's what we do. Now, in the road to recovery world, the, the corresponding principle right here, principle number three, says this. We consciously choose, all right? Stop there for a second. Think about what that means. I am making a conscious, well-informed well decision. I am choosing to be different. I am choosing to make a new path. I am choosing to start over. We consciously choose to commit all our life and will, there are those two words again, to Christ's care and control. And then from the Beatitudes, Jesus' words that go along with that are very simple. It, is, it just says this. It just says, blessed are those, happy are the meek. 
Happy are the meek. Now, in our program here that we call Community Recovery, as I've been telling you, we just simplify everything down to one word. Here it's surrender. Surrender. That's the key word. Surrender. I'm going to surrender my will. I'm going to give it up. You know, in most surrenders that we talk about today, they're voluntary. But there are military surrenders, and most of those are somewhat less than voluntary. They're, they're, some, they're, they're forced into voluntary. They're forced volunteerism, forced surrender. Uh, it, it's really interesting. In World War II, the Marines had a very definite strategy that they used when they went to retake uh, the Pacific from the Japanese. They used the same strategy on every island, and it worked every time. It's fascinating. Here's what, here's what they did. The first thing they did is the Marines would go to the island that, that, they, that had been taken captive and they would just start bombing the tar out of it. I mean, just plastering and bombs everywhere and all the explosions and things that were going on. That was called the softening up period. Now, what do you think about this? You may be in a softening up period right now. There may be so many bombs, not literal, but figurative bombs going on around you right now that you really don't know what to do. One of the things you need to, at the very least, consider is that, is that God using those things, allowing those things, not causing them, but allowing those things to soften your heart? to soften your heart and to allow you to be ready for what he really wants to do. Because when the Marines were bombing all of these islands, it was softening things. It was kind of, you know what it was doing? It was tearing down the will. It was tearing down the will of the Japanese army. It was softening it. And God may very well be allowing some things to go on around you that are tearing down your will that are softening your heart for what's about to happen. The second thing that the Marines did on every island after they had used this softening up period, the second thing they did was they would establish a beachhead. They would land on a beach. They would find the most, the most uh, uh, strategic place. They would land on the beach and they would begin taking the beach. Now, maybe it was only 20 yards deep. Maybe they only secured 20 yards in and 200 feet wide. Maybe it was just a really little area there, but they would get it pretty much secured and then they would move from there. They would move out from there. They established this beachhead uh, that had completely threatened the island. Now they wanted to liberate the island. They had, hadn't won yet. They'd just gotten in. I'm going to suggest this to you. The fact that you're here today, and that for most of you, you've been here for a few Sundays or Thursdays, God's establishing a beachhead in your life. He's, he's making, he's taking ground. And, and maybe you're not where you want to be or where he wants you to be, but you're not where you used to be. And for some of you, if you'll stop for a moment, you'll think, and you'll think back, allow yourself to think back 365 days, a year ago this time, if someone had told you that you would be worshiping in a church at 9.30 on Sunday morning, you would have thought they were smoking something. But God's been, he, he softened your heart, and he's been establishing a beachhead And then the Marines, once they had that beachhead established and secured, then from there they went out and they fought their individual battles, their individual battles all around the island. And in some cases, it was only one battle and it was over. They had the whole island. In many cases, though, they would go out and they'd they'd fight a battle and they'd three steps forward and two steps back. And sometimes even after a while, it would be two steps forward and three steps back. But they kept their secured beachhead. They always had that as their safe zone. And they kept moving and kept moving and kept moving and eventually eventually they liberated the island every time the same strategy worked over and over and over again and so maybe today maybe today you're feeling the hand of God pulling at your heart and I want to tell you this total freedom total liberation from sin is available 
it's right there. You're in the right spot. God softened your heart enough to have you here. You, are, you have a beachhead established. You are in a safe place. And total liberation from sin is possible if you just accept it. Now, in the Bible, the Bible talks about surrender a lot. And biblical surrender, the definition simply means this. Biblical surrender is simply submitting to the power, authority, and the will of God. Now, here, stay with our theme here. We're submitting, we're surrendering, power and authority, and the will of who? God. No longer my will, not my will. We're surrendering to the will of God to say, God, I don't even understand what you're doing. I'm so confused by this because I know where my life used to be. I'm not even sure I can get my mind around the fact that total liberation is possible because I know me. I know the dirt. I know the hurt. I know the wounds. I hope you noticed and were paying attention to the folks that were, that were sharing their testimonies this morning. Some of them were choices that they made. Not good choices. And they kind of own that. But there were several people that walked across here with signs revealing it wasn't their choice. It was a choice that somebody else made and did to them and wounded them. And they were hurt and they were broken. Now, the hurt and the brokenness is the same no matter how we're hurting. If we're hurting, we're hurting, all right? But sometimes we cause our own hurt and sometimes our hurt is imposed upon us because... We live in a really messed up world. We live in a really messed up, fallen and broken world. And so to surrender means I'm giving up my will. I'm giving up my will to do what I want to do. I'm giving up my will, my desire, my intentions that sometimes hurt other people. I'm giving all that up and surrendering to God's will. Surrender takes on different levels, all of which will affect our relationship with God. There's, there's always that initial surrender. And in the Christian world, it's that, that time of drawing of the Holy Spirit that leads to salvation. You know, that there's something, if you're feeling that beating, you're feeling that tension, you're, you're, you're wondering, it's, it's the Holy Spirit's working. The Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit can work on people from the get-go. What's really cool is when the Holy Spirit moves, transitions, when you allow the Holy Spirit to transition from working on you to working through you. That's when it gets really cool. When you've accepted him enough that you are allowing him to work through you. When we let go of our attempts to earn God's favor and rely on the finished work of Jesus Christ on our behalf, we become a child of God. And see, God demands that we surrender our total self, our whole self. Here's what we want to do, though, you know. Let, let's be real if we're just being honest. We really kind of get to a point for, for most of us, we're like, yeah, yeah, yeah here, here it is, here it is. But could you leave that closet just for me? Could you leave just that area just for me? Here, you can have it all. You can have it all. I just kind of don't open that door. Don't go in there. Because that's, that's where I hide the crud. That's where when you knocked on the door and I realized I had company, that's the closet that I opened the door and just shoved everything into. And I'll deal with it later. Could you just leave it alone? What God says is, no, open that door. I'll help you deal with it. Open that door. I'll help you clean it out. Open that door. I'll help you take some of that stuff to the spiritual dump and get rid of it. And that's total surrender. That's giving him access to everything. There are some roadblocks. There are some roadblocks that are going to pop up here. Things that you need to consider that Satan will use to try to stop you from surrendering. To, to try to keep you from making that total surrender. The, the roadblocks start with pride. I, I mentioned it already. I mentioned already, it, it, it took some removal of pride for people to bear a little bit of their soul in front of you today. I, I don't want to admit that I need help. I don't want to admit that I need help. And, and dudes, we're a little bit worse about that than the ladies. We want to fix it ourselves. Part of that's not our fault, to be honest. Part of that's not our fault. 
Because every man in this room grew up in a generation when you were taught as a little boy. Big boys don't cry. You get knocked down, pick yourself up by your bootstraps. Go on through it. And so that pride thing really gets in our way. I, I, I got this. I got this. I can fix this. And, and, and Satan's using that pride. He, he wants you to feel weak. That's what pride, that's what pride does. He wants you to feel weak. Like if you surrender, you're giving up. And yet what the Bible tells us is I'm strongest when I'm weak. Because he works through me in those moments. He works in me in those moments in a way that he can't when I'm strong, when it's my strength. So pride is the first roadblock. The second roadblock is guilt, is guilt. I'm ashamed to ask God for help. I I don't want to admit that. You know, there is a, shame is horrible. Shame is horrible. I'll guarantee you, I'll guarantee you that every person that walked across the stage, as well as every person in this room, has felt shame. We, we don't want to admit that we did what we did or that we thought what we thought. Shame is horrible. You know the thing I love most about that song that, was, that they were singing? I hope you were paying attention to the words and singing as well as watching the thing. But there's a line in the song where it says, you called my name and you stole my shame. That that's what happens when we surrender to the will of God. He grabs that shame that Satan is dumping on top of us and he just takes it away. He steals it from us. He takes our shame away. And we've got to get rid of that but because Satan's going to use guilt and shame to keep us from doing a lot of things. In Psalm 40, it says, problems far too big for me to solve are piled up higher than my head. Anybody ever feel that way? Man, that pile is just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Meanwhile, my sins, too many to count, have caught up with me, and I am ashamed to look up. I'm so guilty. So guilty. Third roadblock. Third roadblock is fear. I'm afraid of what I'd have to give up. Yeah, I know that's probably not the best thing for me to be doing but I kind of like it. (laughs) I kind of enjoy it. I feel like that's the only thing I can do. What, get sober? How do sober people even function? I'm afraid I wouldn't have any fun in life if I was sober or whatever the thing might be. And we wrestle with that fear of, I don't know how that's going to be, especially if that thing that's been holding us down has been going on for a long time. We're just like, I can't even imagine what that's going to feel like. And it's a little bit frightening. Mark eight thirty six says, how does a man benefit if he gains the whole world and loses his soul in the process? Words of Jesus. Is anything worth more than your soul no matter how much you like that thing that it whatever your it is no matter how much you like that is there any way that it's more valuable than your soul and we got to wrestle with that the fourth roadblock is worry and confusing the decision phase with the problem solving phase i want to figure this out i want to figure this out i want to fix it problem solving and Peter said, wrote these words, cast all your anxiety on God because he cares for you. He wants to be the one to fix it. He wants to be the one to get in front of it. And then doubt. Doubt. My faith just seems so small. My faith just seems so small. You know what Jesus said about having a little bit of faith? Jesus said in, in Matthew 17, he said, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed nothing will be impossible for you because your faith is in God and he's big enough for everything and so we got to get those roadblocks out of the way so that we can experience God experiencing God is an amazing thing when you when you get there you know the Bible talks about having a peace that passes all understanding and and you can tell somebody something and you're like you're just not going to really understand until you experience it, until you're there. You just, you just don't understand what it's like until you're there. And that's what getting over some of these roadblocks gets us to. 
It's a place of experiencing God that brings a peace that we just don't understand in any other way. In 1990, a guy named Henry Blackaby wrote a, a book that is now really becoming a classic. It's called Experiencing God. And in that book, he, he gives tons of amazing, amazing illustrations and analogies. But he gives seven steps that he gives, seven steps to experiencing God in your life. And, and I think they're a good outline of coming to realize that it, there is a God who loves you. Let that sink in. There is a God who loves you. That was what we talked about last week in step two. Step one was I'm powerless. Step two is there is a God that loves me. And understanding that, and these, and these things that Henry Blackby wrote about help us to do that. Now, the first four things that he said really, really is what we've talked about the last two weeks in steps one and two. And that is just starting off with number one is God is always at work around you. God is always at work around you. And the second thing is God wants a relationship with you that is real and personal. Hang tight, they'll all be on the screen in a minute. You can snap them all, okay? The third one is God invites you to become involved with him in his work. The fourth one, God speaks by the Holy Spirit through the Bible prayer, circumstances, and the church to reveal himself, his purpose, and his ways. So like I said, I think those four things there kind of encompass what we talked about in the previous two weeks of being powerless, understanding I I can't do this on my own, and understanding there is a God who loves me and wants to help. And then Blackaby had three more steps that I think really kind of go into this third step of recovery. And, And so his fifth principle was this, God's invitation for you to work with him always leads you to a crisis of belief that requires faith and action. There are those moments in your life. There are those moments in your life when you're going down the figurative road of life and you realize, I am going the wrong way. Just as much as if you were driving down the road literally and you missed a turn. And you realize, oops, I just missed that turn. The other night I was coming home late and they were paving the the big road in front of my house. And so I thought, I'm going to be really smart. I know the back roads. And so I turned off on one of them and drove right by the next one that I was supposed to take. And so it's, you know, late at night and I'm halfway to eminence instead of at my house. All right. And, you know, but when you realize that, when you realize that, You've got to make a choice. When I realized I'd missed my turn, it's almost 11 o'clock at night. It's dark. I'm on a country road in my truck. And I'm like, if I stop here and try to do a three-point turnaround and somebody comes over that hill. And so I just kept driving. I just kept driving. I just kept driving. And then when I realized where that road was going to take me, I was like, I should have turned around in the middle of the road. How many times in life have you felt, have you realized, I should have turned around in the middle of the road? When I hit that crisis of belief, when I hit that crisis of faith, I should have just stopped and turned around in the middle of the road. What that really is all about is what we'll talk about just as we finish this morning, but what that's really all about is repentance. Because that word repentance that we seemingly only ever hear in church settings and biblical settings, that word repentance takes two things. For true, true repentance to happen in a person's life, they have to turn away from sin and turn toward God. There's no just veering off to the right or the left. It's a complete turnaround. It's a complete 180. I'm not messing around with this anymore. I'm going to do that three-point turn in the middle of a dark highway because I know I need to be going that way. And that comes when we hit that crisis of belief. Once again, I'm confident of this. I'm confident that there's someone maybe a bunch of someone's that that's where you are right now you're 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 kind of stopped in the middle of a small dark road trying to figure out which way to turn here's my advice to everybody you know the phrase go big or go home 99.999 percent of the time when you're faced with those two choices go home just go home And when you hit that crisis of belief, go home. Go home. 
make that turn and go home. Go where you know you need to go. Blackaby's next thing that goes right along with this is you've got to make major adjustments in your life to join God and what he is doing. There are some things that God's already doing around you. And all, all he really needs is a partner. He, he needs somebody to jump on board and help out. You know, I, I, hear, I hear people who've been Christian for a long time even. Like, I, I just, I'm just going to sit right here in this moment and I'm going to wait for God to tell me what I need to do. How long are you going to do that? How many things do you already know that God's told you to do that you're not doing? How might jump on board and do some of those things and in, do, in doing those things, maybe he'll reveal the next thing. Because one of the things that Blackaby talks about in this book, Experiencing God, is if you're lost in the middle of a deep, dark forest and all you've got is a flashlight, there's, you're probably not going to have a flashlight with a big enough beam to show you all the way out of the forest. But you know what I will show you? The next step. And then when you step into that next step, guess what? The next step. <laughs> and the next step. And, and, and so you've got to make some changes to step into where God's trying to take you. Because he is doing stuff, and he just wants you to step into that light. Step into that moment. And the final thing that Blackaby talks about is you come to know God by experience as you do obey him. And he accomplishes his work through you. He accomplishes his work through you. And all of a sudden, you know, that bad pride that got in the way of a lot of things is replaced with a good pride of like, I did what he asked me to do. You know what that feels like, right? That good pride. We know the difference between the two. Remember that good pride when you, you did something right in school and the teacher or the coach complimented you on that? And that feeling or, or your mom or your dad said, way to go. Your boss gave you a promotion. And there's that good level of like, I did it. I did it. I, 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 I did what I was supposed to do. We all need that in our life. Oh my goodness, we all need that. Discouraging words will destroy you. But when a coach or a teacher says, way to go, you can just see a kid's countenance change. You see it change completely. And God wants, to, wants you to experience that, but to experience that, you've got it. Just like to get that way to go out of boy, it, you've got to do what you need to do and so God wants us to step into that as well and once you've experienced his presence in your life then all that's left to do is surrender control when pilots fly planes they either they use one of two ways of navigation they either use what's referred to as IFR or VFR IFR stands for instrument flight rules or VFR stands for visual flight rules. Every pilot is flying by one or the other. And so if you think about those two things in IFR, IFR is like either the pilot taxis down the runway, gets to the control tower, listens to the control tower, submits the controls of the system over to the automatic uh, instrumentation, sets the instruments, and it's a done deal, and they're controlled by the instruments. It's a very safe way of flying. VFR those visual flight rules, you kind of just taxi out the runway, kind of look around, check things out, you know, like look both ways, what, all that kind of stuff. And it looks okay, so you take off and you fly around. You use what you can see in front of you. And VFR, understand this, VFR is a fine way of flying as long as you can see everything. As long as you can see everything, the weather's clear, not a lot of air traffic. But one day, one day, if you fly long enough, you're going to have to fly through a storm. And the lightning's going to be going off. And clouds are going to be there. And, and you're not going to be able to see things. You're going to get lost in some clouds. And at one point, you have, to, you have to pick up the microphone and say, I need to switch over to IFR. I need to go to my instruments. And you submit the controls over to the instruments. You know what all airlines fly? <laughs> all commercial airlines, they fly IFR because it's more reliable. 
All pros fly IFR, but a lot of amateurs choose to fly VFR. And, and the FAA says that a lot of these small plane crashes, you know, you read about, you hear about small plane crashes in a cornfield in Indiana or the mountains of eastern Kentucky or whatever, and you hear about those things. FAA says a lot of the times those crashes wouldn't have happened, but when the pilot got lost in the clouds, they simply wouldn't pick up the microphone and say, I need help. I got this. I can figure this out. Some of you may have made it pretty well through life on VFR. But what about the storms? What about the storms? Because you're going to hit some tough spots. You're going to hit some tough spots. You're going to hit some clouds where, where you flip upside down and you don't even know which direction you're going. At that point, you've got to speak in to the microphone of life and switch to God's system and let him have control. I surrender the care and control of Christ or it's disaster. So how do we surrender? How do we surrender? By this checkpoint on the road to recovery, we've admitted that we are powerless on our own, hopefully, to handle the own sin in our life. We're powerless on that. But God has a way and so we have realized and chosen to seek out a power that can restore us to sanity but God and now it's time to surrender how do we surrender on this journey we're on this road to recovery what do we need to do the first thing you got to do is trust first thing you got to do is trust in Jesus now not just believe in Jesus okay that's part of it that's part of the that's part of the issue you got to but it's much more than just believe you know why I say that because the Bible tells us that even the demons believed in Jesus. In fact, if you read through all four Gospels, you read through all four Gospels, every single time that Jesus came in, in, in confrontation with a demon, the demon spoke first every time, every time. The demon that possessed the young man, whatever, every time. The, the demon spoke first and they called him by name. They would say things like, oh Lord, don't destroy us. Oh, Lord, don't cast us out. See, the demons believed who Jesus was. They knew, but they didn't trust him. They, hadn't, they, were, they were following an evil one, okay? Here's the thing. You've got belief as part of that, but you've got to take that belief to the point of trusting. You've got to take that belief to the point of falling into the arms and trusting that he's got you, that he's got you. The second thing you need to be willing to do is confess his name. That's the second thing, is, is that, yeah, I, yeah, that's why we love, we, we, we celebrate baptisms for several reasons. Number one, the Bible tells us in Luke 15 that every time that someone is lost, comes home, the angels in heaven celebrate. And so if they're celebrating in heaven, we ought to be celebrating here. It just makes sense to us, all right? But we celebrate that because it's a public, it's a public confession. It's not a hidden decision. It's not an undercover Christian. There's no place for that. There's no place that somebody calls us, Dave, hey, I want to get baptized this week, but I don't want anybody to know, so can we do it in private? Like, nope. Not going to happen. We can do it in private, but not so that no one will know. Because that decision, that decision to surrender is something that you want everybody to know. You want everybody to know. You want to invite your family and your friends, and especially you want to invite people that need to make that same decision, and you want to confess before them. And anybody who's willing to listen, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and I trust him with my life. And then we need to repent. Then we need to repent of our sins. That's what I was talking about just a moment ago, that crisis of belief, that we need to make that 180, that complete turnaround and repent, and then we need to be baptized. And then we need to surrender and be baptized. And, 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 and why baptism uh, is so important, the, the word itself, baptism, means to plunge under, to submerge. That's, it's the only way you get that imagery. It's also the only way you get the imagery of death, burial, and resurrection. Because what you see every week here when people are baptized is you see people that make that confession they make that confession. They put their life in the hands of whoever is baptizing them for a moment. And, and then they are lowered in the water, which symbolizes burial. 
dead to self and burial. What did they do with Jesus after they took him off the cross? They buried him. They put him in the ground in, in a tomb, but still they put him in the ground. And then what happened three days later? He rose. And see, when we bring people up out of the water, I say jokingly all the time, but when we bring people back up out of the water, it's not just because it's illegal not to. That is just as symbolic as going down in the water. Because when you go down in the water, you're buried in Christ. And the Bible tells us this, just as we were buried in Christ, so also we will be raised to a new life, new person. That's why we celebrate. That's why we celebrate. And it's been so cool to celebrate. And we're fixing to celebrate some more. But right now, it's, it's, it's time to move. It's time to move. And the, the praise team is going to lead us in worship. And as the song starts, if you haven't already gotten your emblems, make your way to the communion station. Pick those up and then hold on to them. And we'll talk about that uh, right before we leave. If you haven't given your offering, your tithes, your tithes, you, you need to do that. You need to, it's been an awesome year, but, and man, the last couple months, like, have been spot on on almost everything going on around here, except giving. I'm just being real with you. Because, see, the giving, it's what allows us to keep on doing, keep on sharing. And what God was very clear about is when you don't bring your full tithe into the storehouse, you're robbing God. That's what he said. And so we need to be willing to, to tithe and to give, to make a difference. So that people in this community, a whole bunch of y'all, those ones that I said are sitting here that couldn't imagine being sitting here a year ago, one of the reasons you're sitting here is because some people that were ahead of you gave so the ministry could go on so that you could find out and that you could come. These people in these countries where the flags represent, the, our tithing helps keep that going. So we need to do that. Some of you need to move in this moment to your knees. Whether it's at your seat, over by the foot of the cross, here on the steps of the stage, and just, because there's something about when you're on your knees, you can't run. When you're on your knees, you can just kind of surrender. 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 And there's a couple already planning on making the ultimate surrender this morning. So if you're feeling that tug on your heart, when everybody starts moving, if you just move right over there to the foot of the stage and Bobby will be over there, Jason will be over there, we got some folks and you can join the party. There's plenty of towels in the back. There's plenty of towels and you won't be alone. You won't be alone. So it's time to move. Let's all stand. Let's all stand. God, thanks for what you're doing among us. Thank, thank you for moving among us. And right now, God, help us have the courage to move and to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's move.
place you've got direct access to God through Jesus Christ not through a little room or a little place or look you got access because of the blood of Jesus let's remember that as we take today what a powerful powerful celebration that is ready to celebrate some more let's look over here
Good morning. This is Corey and her mom, Kylie, and I am so proud of her. If you do not know this young lady, you are missing out because she has the biggest heart of any kid I think I've ever met. So she has been really thinking about this decision for a long time. She's researched, she, she knows why she's getting baptized. So today is the day, are you ready? Okay, I believe. I believe that Jesus is the Christ. That Jesus is the Christ. The Son of the Living God. The Son of the Living God. And I accept Him. And I accept Him to be my personal Lord and Savior. To be my personal Lord and Savior. All right, Corey. Because of your confession, your mom is going to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit for the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. church. So I have here Kobe Raglan. Uh, me and Kobe, we work together now for what, about two years? Mm -hmm. Kobe's 23 and about a couple weeks ago we just, I don't know, sparked up a conversation during a fantasy football conversation about <laughs> salvation and a week later he decides that it's time to make the Lord his Savior. And so we're here today. Just, just proud of him. So, you ready? Yeah. I believe. I believe. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Christ. Son of the living God. Son of the living God. And I accept him. And I accept him. To be my personal. To be my personal. Lord and Savior. Lord and Savior. Kobe, because of your confession, I'm now going to baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit for the forgiveness of your sins and gift of eternal life. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. For those of you who are keeping record, 105 and 106. The most ever is 107. So if you're... N Spoiler alert. If you're not in a real hurry, you might want to hang around another hour or so. Because it's getting ready to be party time in here. But I want to explain this. Why do we even celebrate that? No, it's not the number. It, it's not the number. Every one of those numbers represents a soul that's going to spend eternity with us. That's what it represents. We're not interested in filling a church. We're interested in filling heaven. And that's what's going on. And the beauty of it is I love the connection stories. <laughs> I mean, I just got, that's like number 10 this year for Josh. Yeah. And so like, I'm already like, who's your next one? All right. Cause like, but here's why that's important is because this person leads this person to Christ who leads this person to Christ, who leads this person to Christ, who leads this person to Christ and on and down. But what if somewhere down here about here, that person becomes the greatest modern-day evangelist that we know, and they lead millions to Christ. But it might not ever happen if this person didn't get it started. And so we've got to share. So it's that time. Get out of here. Go love God. Love people. Watch Him change the world. And if you want to hang around, you're welcome too. <laughs> 